This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,513, recorded April 17th, 2000. And I do want to remind everyone that it was me who single-handedly constructed, developed, and built the phrase, quote, I have said consistently from the very beginning. (laughs) Along with the ever popular, I don't give a damn what you think. Here's some stuff I wrote just for this occasion. Son said a father to his aforementioned appendage, My counsel for the day is as follows. Never get mentally competitive with anyone dumber than you. They have nothing to lose. And the boy asks, does this have something to do with my attempt to bring my thoughts under my control? And the old man gave him a big old familiar thumbs up. Everyone in the world knows what needs to be done. All the priests, all the philosophers, all the critics, all the educators, all the parents and all the mystics. Everyone in the world knows what needs to be done. Keep your mind on what you're doing. The mystics are always annoyed to have this pointed out. A father said to his son, in times past, Mysticism was more mysterious than it is now. And the boy inquired, In what times past? And the elder replied, In the earlier times before one understands what the mysticism thing is really all about. And a related motto you could live by. Keep your eye on the ball and be indifferent about it. And suddenly a son asks his father, it's when your mind slips off of what you're doing that you go to sleep, isn't it? That's all there is to it. Come on, complains the mystic. You know it's not that simple. Come on. (laughs) Remember, when all other methods are failing you, laugh. I must make an editorial aside for those of you that know what I'm talking about. That is the only method, trick, as I used to call them, that I have ever come up with that has as much effect 10 years later as it did when I discovered it. It never fails. There's not even a question about it, no doubt. A conversation between one father and one son, son, Can you be poetic and be enlightened? Father, no. Son, can you be bombastic and be enlightened? Father, no. Son, can you be solicitous and be enlightened? Father, no. Can you be aggressive and be enlightened? Father, no. Can you be reticent and be enlightened? Father, it's a start. Son, then what would be the finish? Father, not asking if you can be such and such and still be enlightened. Hardball quiz. How can you tell for certain that a man does not know what's going on? Answer. (laughs) He has any question. Headline, more facts that should eventually and inevitably lead you to the position I have of late been commending. When you're hungry, you're asleep. When you're horny, you're asleep. When you're frightened, you're asleep. No question about it, the solution is indifference. Well, hey, it's either that or stop getting hungry, horny, or frightened. It's either suppress suppress the red and blue circuits and pay the needless consequences, or simply face the fact that you live in a house with a couple of animals who have a mind of their own, so to speak, 
and do best for all concerned. And, and they do best for all concerned when left alone. For whatever they are up to will, shortly, will be over shortly. So simply face the fact of their presence and then turn your useful attention to the existence in your house of an observer, a vocal observer, a kind of play-by-play -play commentator who is the source of an endless stream of judgments and criticisms regarding anything that falls within its sight. To reach the real goal, the indifference needed is not directed to any of man's instinctive operations, but rather toward that elusive spokesman in your head, which is forever commenting prejudicially on life as you perceive it to be. I repeat what I consider perhaps the most defensible definition of enlightenment, the realization that life is as it is regardless of what you think. Oh, and a man mentioned in the story last week says now he is not satisfied with the essay he wrote, which we quoted, and has revised it thus and would like for me to read it. It's entitled, What I Like About Drinking and Drugging. What I like about drinking and drugging is that doing so not only puts me fast asleep, but it also vaporizes any awareness that I am. And that's what I hate about drinking and drugging. Thank you. Now I'm satisfied. The end. That's when we've heard the last of him. A boy asked his father, could a sleeping man and an awakened one both be, for instance, let's say, clumsy? And his father replied, yes, but the difference would be in that the awakened man would recognize his instinctive proclivity and recognize his instinctive proclivity and be indifferent toward it. And the boy said, do you mean that he wouldn't care that he was naturally clumsy? And the elder responded, no, I do not mean that he wouldn't care that he was by nature clumsy. Being so might bother him greatly, but he would still be indifferent to his being bothered by it. Aha, cried the boy. I think I'm beginning to catch on. People who say that there is no such thing as the condition of awakening are themselves asleep. And those people who say that there is such a condition either, and those people who say that there is such a condition either, don't know or else talk too much. The boy asked his father, when it concerns the matter of achieving another state of mind, just what is too much talk about it? The old man chuckled in reply, even I won't shoot elephants in a barrel. Yes. And I remind you of one man's dictum, quote, the brain put us to sleep and the brain can awaken us, except for the worrisome fact that the brain did not put us to sleep and therefore cannot awaken us. Well, except for the fact that when it's described like that, it's not so. Well, even though it is, if you see what I'm getting at. I'll let you, end of quote, and I'll let you people respond to that one. I'm going to stuff over that barrel and see for myself if that one elephant is actually doing the breaststroke. <clears throat> the Australian crawl? <laughs> I thought breaststroke would be funnier than Australian crawl. <laughs> hmm. A lad inquired of his dad, in my adventure to discover what's really going on, how can I tell when I'm in over my head. And the elder replied, when you are in your head rather than in the movements of living. Lost and never realizing it. Trapped amongst the tangle of words. End quote. And the way you keep the wild elephants that are running around your yard from bothering you is to run with them. Well, that's the way you do it if you're ordinary. Good, I was hoping somebody would. A father told his son, to be an ordinary human is to believe that being human is something extraordinary. In this family, we do not hold to such a view. Non-brittle laugh laughing as indifference's sexy sister and beefed up brother. 
Where indifference overpowers, laughing pulls a con game. That should be whereas indifference overpowers, laughing pulls a con game. <clears throat> be strong, be slick, meet it head on, divert it with a trick. If enlightenment is the realization that life is as it is regardless of what you think, then being in the dark is in believing that it, your thoughts, do have pertinence to what life is about. And to so believe and be deluded, you must take your thoughts to be serious and significant. A belief that cannot survive the sound of laughing. Those stuck on thoughts die a thousand times a day and never realize it. A man who laughs at thoughts while seeking the goal develops a whole new awareness of the lack of actual distinction between being alive and being dead in the head. Lest he be single-minded, no man has an eye. The job of a sower is to spread wide seed. For a man to awaken, he must cherish only one. Lest he be indifferent to the many seeds, no man gets free. One man started his own cult and will not let anyone join. Explaining that the reason he started his own cult was because he didn't like the kind of people you find in cults. <laughs> I didn't have much doubt about that one. I just thought you might get it. I think there's more to it than humor. If you make me mad, I'll go back and talk about it. You could picture being asleep as a condition, be it brief or prolonged, wherein the vital energy of a person's mental attention is drained from them. They are attention depleted. Ergo, being awake is being mentally energized. Mentally energized, but for no apparent purpose. Super alertness, but without attention being held by any subject. Indifferently attentive, with nothing in mind. I guess then that an awakened, an awakened mystic would be someone who is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and wearing a turban. The only interest of priests, psychiatrists, and most mystics throughout history has been how to cope with the inconveniences and other tragedies in their lives. While well, my kind of guy involved with all this couldn't be less interested in the matter. Question, what is an enlightened man other than a man who doesn't give a damn? But, with a philosophy to back it up. I gotta repeat it. Well, see, I point out, it's always a little. I have always been somewhat hesitant. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not, or I haven't been, but I'd like to say I've been hesitant to be that crude about it because we all know that the world is full of people who by any reasonable glance don't give a damn. Prisons are full of them. The gutters are full of them. And so it sounds, I used to think that it might strike people as being somewhat off-putting, curious, strange. When you obviously would assume yourself or know that there had to be a difference. So I thought tonight I would finally cover it for the rest of history, for the rest of the history of this universe. That what is an enlightened man other than a man who doesn't give a damn, but with a philosophy to back it up. See, that's what all the other people in the world who don't give a damn lack. They have no philosophy behind it. Nothing but excuses. Like, well, my wife left me. I lost my business. There's a conspiracy against me. Or it doesn't matter what you try to do. You always get fucked over, so hell, I don't care. That's no philosophy. Those are excuses. 
And plus, no one buys the excuse. Unless you're a fellow down and outer with him trying to get a, a drink off of him. And then you nod for the moment like, yeah, tell me about it. So you don't find every day. You hardly ever find an awakened man, of course. But you do not find people who do not give a damn, but have a philosophy to back it up. Plus something else about it, and I didn't point out the obvious, or it should be. The real difference is, is the awakened person, I could put it this way, what is an awakened man other man who doesn't give a damn, but no one knows it. Through the rest of the world, when people don't give a damn, it's as though, I'm sure you know what I mean, it's as though they want to be sure that you know it. I mean, the way they walk, the way they talk, their whole attitude. Just as soon as you could just meet somebody like that on the street corner or something and say good morning to you, and you know, to them, they say something like, what the hell's gut about it? Well, fuck you. You know, that kind of attitude. But again, the difference is an awakened man, what, my question, what is an awakened man other than a man who doesn't give a damn? Another version is, what is it but a man who doesn't give a damn, but no one knows it? Of course, is that not synonymous with a philosophy to back it up? I knew you were already wondering that yourself. I could just see it. You were asking yourself, well, is that not synonymous with the first one? That living a secret life, that is, you don't give a damn except no one knows it. It doesn't show. No one would ever suspect. Isn't that, you were saying to yourself, isn't that the same thing as having a philosophy to back it up? You guys are getting sharp. In fact, that is so sharp, I can't hardly understand that one. And yet I knew you were doing it. I just remind me of another one. A man who claims to have supernatural powers and he can read your mind. And he reads your mind and you go, well, what is it? And he goes, well, can't you do it? And they go, oh yeah, I can do it. It's like, but I just can't understand what you're thinking. I don't know what to say. Don't you like it? The man with such supernatural abilities. Absolutely superhuman that he can read your mind but then he's too stupid. He can't really tell you what it was because he can't understand what you're thinking. But, see, I know I can look at you and tell some of you are saying, oh, wait a minute, that's what I'm doing inside my own brain when I'm trying to awaken, trying to overcome my so-called sleeping condition. I could hear it. Some of you are already thinking that. Okay. That's right, don't listen to me. Just go off on your own and figure out things. Like the ring, the brain when not tied up. And one of its specific responsibilities is the world's greatest kidder. It is, in fact, a model for all comedians. No! It is, in fact, the single source of all comedy. God, what a little kidder it can be. And what a shame that a few of us take its kidding to be a matter of such serious concern. But hey, that's the difference again between us and them ordinary folks. Headline, the absolute. Once and for all, final word on the matter of efficiency. If it works for you, it works. Need I note this fact, special pertinence to those seeking the goal. To a man who's finally awakened to what's going on, the whole idea of being asleep becomes, well, sort of humorous. Yes, yes, I noticed also that no one was laughing. <laughs> One man announced to his family and friends that he had, that he finally had life figured out. And under his breath, life muttered, and I sure appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I received 
several notes from you people out in Tapeland, and I got a few looks here in town after I gave you one of my tricks, my recommendations, that is, of laughing constantly aloud for the better part of a day. And I got several letters. I know sometimes it's easier to write me than it is to say something. That sometimes you people out of town are, I'm sure, would feel like you're in a superior position because you can just write something on, in one sentence on a piece of paper and send it to me and you don't have to look embarrassed. You don't have to look at me like, do you know what it means? You just put it in the envelope and drop it in the mailbox and it's too late. You just have to take your chances. But at any rate, it was just, the gist of it was about what I expected. I understood and was greatly encouraged Just people just wrote, some people and went, the laughing thing. God, what a riot. Or, I would have never, one person said, I would have never in my wildest dreams imagined what that would do. There is something I, you notice I never even mentioned that that night. I didn't know what else to say. It's just something that I just, you know, many people enjoy laughing. And I'm aware of the fact that, you know, there's being psychological and physiological testing has been done that laughing uh, produces an increase in certain neurotransmitters and that cetera and can supposedly under, they have some statistics showing that it seems to boost the immune system. And plus, most everybody, except people that don't give a damn, but most people enjoy laughing. Most people enjoy a joke. And so it's not like I discovered laughing. And so it would, we're not talking about the rest of the world. Having that one aim that I have my own clear vision of, of what being awake is, the reality behind it. And one day, and I can't tell you why. Well, I can. I'm always looking for shit, even, even though I know what's going on. You got to do something to entertain yourself or go bonkers, I guess, or get so awake that you disappear. It's just hard to disappear in the midst of civilization. If somebody would give me an island, maybe I would permanently wake up if I get away. Don't let me take anything with me, though. No books or stereo. My accordion. Well, maybe my accordion. Either that or my hair shirt. But anyway, where was I? I'm sure I was looking, as always, like... Uh, I just put it this way. I'm always looking for you know, other methods. I only come up with, I don't know, 30 or 40 a week, and of course you hear about one or two of them. But just one day, I just it hit me for a reason. I started laughing and suddenly realized what it was doing. Vis-a-vis -vis the all, the eternal, ever-present aim. I was shocked. I wasn't shocked. I was delighted. Wait a minute, is that true? I was already laughing. So I can have a sure I was delighted. I think I was. I know I was. Because after I stopped laughing, and considered a moment, geez, I found a whole new thing. Then I started laughing again. There is certainly something. And again, I am don't 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 try to equate it. Forget all the things, the reason I brought them up, forget all the things about that uh, it's supposed to be good for you. Or turns out an increase in certain neurotransmitters and et cetera. If you won't go back and try it again, or just any time you want to, you don't have to do it all day. I just wanted everybody to get a big old full dose because that's what I did within an instant. It just happened it was a day I could pull it off, more or less. But as soon as I got it, as soon as I realized what it was doing, how it cooperated, how it benefited the aim, then I thought, well, and so I did it for five minutes nonstop and realized that for five minutes it was impossible to get back in your ordinary state. That as long as you were laughing, it was not possible. And I checked my business and social calendar and realized that that day was relatively free. And seeing as how there was nothing great on television I wanted to see, another fortuitous event, 
I laughed nonstop for hours just to check it because I didn't want to come tell you that, hey, as long as you're laughing, you can't really go to sleep. I was already sure of it. It only took me a couple of seconds. But at any rate, I wanted to be sure. Plus, it was fun. Plus, I couldn't believe it because I thought, well, I'll see how long that lasts so that even if I say you can't be asleep when you laugh, at least I will know that, well, but it runs out after 90 minutes or two hours or whatever. So there's somebody, one of you came back and went, well, you know, I tried it and it worked, but after about 90 minutes, it stopped. <laughs> then I could say, okay, you know, just don't mention this to the others. I wanted you, I didn't want to discourage you. I didn't want to tell you that. Well, if I told you that, even if I knew it, if I told you that, then sure as hell, you know what would happen. You would be just rolling along thinking this is it. This is the way to stay awake. This is the way not to sleep. I don't like to stay, stay awake, by the way. But this is the way to keep from sleeping because you cannot be in your ordinary state of mind while you're laughing on purpose. You know, I'm talking, when I'm saying laughing now, I'm talking about you know, my method. That is, you intend, you just start laughing out loud for no reason. If I told you that it would only last about 90 minutes, then you know what would happen. It'd be almost impossible for any of you to make it go past 90 minutes. But at any rate, I went ahead and did it all day and it never diminished. As I've said, for ever since then, I can do it. It's the only thing, well, it isn't class by itself. It's the only thing I can do that, I'm just telling you, that I can feel. Just a minute, I can just check it. It doesn't take me but two or three seconds. And I can check it and its efficacy has not diminished whatsoever since I discovered it. What I wrote here, I was just going to bring up again. Years ago, I brought up another context so anybody remembers. Uh, and I found it profitable back then. That was before I discovered my laughing method. But I was aware of the fact that at least certain kinds of thought-based, certain kinds of attitudes, certain kinds of certain types of ideas would not withstand laughter. In uh, the way I recall, I'm fairly certain that the first time, the heart of it, me pointing out to what used to be the main group people here in this part of the country that I was talking to, was I pointed out there was one thing that tyrants would not tolerate was being made fun of. Even for a tyrant, uh, someone who has, you know what, literally what I mean to start the allegory going in the real, in the literal world, someone who has taken over control of a group of people, a country. And as a true tyrant, an autocrat, he is the final word. Even if he begins to feel, even if he begins to loosen up some of his grip and lets newspapers, or maybe people come out on the street corners at a certain time and speak to some degree in opposition to some of his uh, political ideas, to someone, maybe a newspaper, to oppose some of his economic programs, some of his agricultural programs. Even if he allows some of that, there's one thing that a tyrant has, will never allow. He will never loosen up and allow political cartoonists to return to the paper and make fun of him. Of course, also, I believe I mentioned this to some of you at one time, this is really an aside, but how do you fit that in with certain historical... Uh, it's taken this historical fact of some kings, it wasn't all that uncommon, that had a joker, a clown who was there in court and had special protection, and his job was to make fun of the king. That the king would make some great announcement, well, I won't put up with this kind of stuff. And the guy with the bladder bag and a funny-looking hat, you know, would squat down next to the king's throne and go, he ain't gonna put up with that. <laughs> that the king paid him. Well, you know, let him live there, protected him, but he was the only one in the kingdom, and it was his job to poke fun at pomposity. But I was gonna say that's another story for another day, but it's not. It's the same old story for every day. 
Oh, I read another good quote since you people. So I'm not always just quoting myself. I'm not the only person that ever said anything clever. <laughs> well, the, I don't know the real history. I thought I did. It seemed like it was Gibbons, somebody that was an expert or an authority in the field, but I thought the original was that he said, history is nothing but one damn thing after another. <laughs> when, well, no, no, that's not it. That's an old one. I'm getting... And then it turned in, somebody lifted that, and I don't know who, but then they turned into life is just one damn thing after another. Well, I ran across one, Edna St. Vincent Malay, which I don't know why I'm surprised that I was. She says that it, I'm quoting more or less her quote now, more or less, she said, it is not that life is one damn thing after another, no. It's the same damn thing after another. <laughs> well, back to, I'll leave you to figure out the clown part unless I get back to it. But that is an, ex that's a, taking this historical fact and I have no doubt it's true. You're aware of it anyway. But back to a tyrant, the one thing he will not allow, that even if he reaches the point that he will allow someone Maybe even to his face. Maybe he has you know, the people's day. And he lets people come through and he says, what's on your mind? And maybe somebody says, well, you know, General so-and-so or Premier so-and-so, uh, I hope you, you know, don't take it personally, but your farm program is running some of us out there in the countryside. We cannot you know, make a living. We can't feed our children. And he may allow some of that. And he may debate it a little bit. Well, the state must get their share first and... But the one thing a tyrant will never allow is to someone to make fun of him. To make fun of him, to make fun of his ideas. A tyrant under no conditions other than what I told you about some kings, but a tyrant will not allow laughter directed at him and what he says. And not just some ideas. He will not tolerate it. So I wrote for you that if enlightenment is the realization, as I put it to you, that enlightenment is the realization that life is as it is, regardless of what you think, then being unenlightened, being in the dark, is in believing that your thoughts do have pertinence to what life is. No, we're just the opposite. To what you think about life has some pertinence, has some relevance, has some significance, has some connection to what life is. That is being asleep. And then I point out that this belief, which is to be commonly conscious, is to be run of the mind conscious, is to believe that your thoughts, no one even analyzes it. No one ever questions this. No philosophers, no social critics, no psychologists, no one has ever questioned, at least the way I'm putting it, I've never run across, but no one has questioned whether what they think about life has any pertinence. It's beyond, totally beyond the pale of the mind, as far as I can see, for an ordinary mind to ever perceive of such as being a possibility. It just doesn't exist. Ordinary minds could hear me say it and they'd know what the sentence meant, but then I'm sure they would say, are you trying to tell me? You're, they'd be talking to me. They could say, you mean your view is that any thought I have about what's going on in life, any thought that I or anybody else has, has no pertinence. And I tried to cover it. Pertinence, significance, meaning, relevance, that it is in no way connected. It has no viable, meaningful, actual connection to life. Well, you can feel it within yourself. The mind just rejects it. This is not true. But I say that that would be being in the dark. That would be to be unenlightened is the belief that your thoughts do have some pertinence to life. And so, and to believe and be so deluded in that manner requires that you, of course, take your thoughts about life to be serious and significant. And this is a belief, I finally point out, that cannot survive one thing. The sound of laughing. Because your belief, 
if you're in an ordinary state, an ordinary man, and I'm calling it your belief that your thoughts about life has some pertinence, uh, I'll point out, I assume you'll see it, you don't think of it in that way. When you're in just an ordinary state of mind and you're thinking about what's going on and you're, you're mentally making some comment about what you just observed, you're criticizing the government or somebody that said so- something, you don't think of it as you having a belief that your thoughts about it are important. It's just that they are important. But I'm saying it is a belief. And again, if I was talking to an ordinary mind, they go, it's not a belief. I guess I could be wrong in certain instances, but it is not an across-the-board delusion that my thoughts, whatever they may be about life, are of no significance. Your thoughts about life, your ordinary thoughts about life, can withstand opposition. Your thoughts about life, you can make some comment and you can say, well, I, don't, I think the economy will continue to deteriorate in this country until we get back in a liberal or a socialist, a conservative government. And someone else can say, I can't believe you. I can't believe you said that. It's just the opposite. And so you can enter into a debate. They might even, very unlikely, but they might even uh, begin to win you over that your thoughts on a certain matter might begin to weaken or you might begin to uh, commingle opposing thoughts with yours. You might revise. Your thinking might appear to be revised. What I'm trying to tell you is your thinking on it, on a matter, can survive opposition. It can survive opposition. It can absorb opposition. It can withstand opposition. It can tolerate opposition. Opposition may strengthen and steal up your particular thinking, or as I said, you might begin to absorb some of it. But there's one thing that will not withstand. One thing only, and that's laughing at it. Tell me I'm wrong. And that's where where I've taken the idea or the reality of tyrants not being able or will not tolerate being laughed at, them and their ideas. Now I'm showing you that we have our own tyrant. And the tyrant is simply the belief that your thoughts about life have any significance. Uh, In a clear-headed moment, does everybody, can you or do you, can you realize that that is a literal fact that your thoughts have no significance? And I can sit here and explain that away. As fast as I can talk, I can make that appear to be a bald-faced lie. Which is no talent. Your your thoughts can do that also. But in a clear-headed moment, are you aware? Not just your thoughts, but the thoughts of our president. The decisions that the tyrants and the generals all over the world make have no significance. Life made the decision. Well, if you want to go back and look at it this way, one reason I was dwelling on it again, if none of that's clear, or if it sounds, if it comes and goes and you think maybe you got a grasp on it, then how about this? If you want to try and ponder the matter, try to see to the bottom of it, and I'm assuming, I'm speaking for knowing how the mind works, is it, you seem to get closer or further away from it, and you almost, you know, yeah, I can almost see it, and then it's gone, and you're thinking about it. Just start laughing out loud. <laughs> and then tell me, how do you explain the fact that whatever you were thinking, like, wait a minute, it can't be that all of my thoughts, <laughs> it can't be that all of my thoughts are that all people's thoughts, because people make decisions. The premier of a, a hostile country toward us could decide Mice one of those buttons and send them. We finally got an atomic warhead on this little Mickey Mouse missile we bought from a fire sale in Czechoslovakia before they split up. Crazy Ed's missile shop. (laughs) Fire it off the United States and see what happens. And your thoughts could say that could happen. And then how could you say that no one's thoughts about 
life is of any significance. I told you, it just seems irrefutable, except for this. <laughs> Laugh and then tell me, explain to me, that is to yourself, how do you explain the fact? You can think, I may be dying. Or they told me I'm dying. <laughs> I'm about to lose my house. <laughs> I just lost my job. <laughs> Whatever that is, laugh. Of course, if you're ordinary, I shouldn't have to tell you this, you can go ahead and laugh for a couple of seconds, but you know how ordinary minds would work, ordinary people. They might do that if I encourage somebody to do it. They might do it. They'd do it a couple of seconds, right? Maybe 10 or 15 seconds, and then stop and go, well, what the hell does that prove? And they're back to thinking. And like I say, yeah, my wife just left me. They foreclosed on my house, and I lost my job. But he said, all right, ha, 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 well, what the hell does that do? I still lost my job. My wife's gone and I don't have a house. Ah! Unless you've got the aim and you've moved along somewhere, kind of you know, progressed along, you don't ever get it. Because I got another question. Why don't people, when they're confronted with something like this, ordinary people, why don't they just come down to the nitty gritty and go, well, yeah, I could laugh but I'm still going to die. Why don't they just get to it? <laughs> they just go, yeah, I could, I could eat a salt-free diet, but how I'm still going to die? Well, now we're getting somewhere. That'd be the first time that the person ever came close to telling, not telling the truth, we should have a better term, <laughs> of not being blinded by thinking. Since, uh, Several of you finally decide you like, well, no, all of you like this one. It took a couple of seconds. Let me read again. Then my, let me read it now. I think I'll ask you, do you want me to interpret? Do I have to or not? One man started his own cult. And he would not let anyone else join. Explaining that the reason that he started his own cult was because he didn't like the kind of people that you normally find joining up in cult. I agree with you, it is funny, literally. At least I would assume amongst us. I'm not sure you find much of an audience for it outside of us. Do I have to interpret it internally? What if there's a way, let me just suggest, just ramble for a second. That you looked upon the old idea that has, that can be useful, but the idea that under ordinary conditions a man has no permanent I, a man has no permanent self, that he is just, uh, in his consciousness, the sense of I is dictated by whatever passing whim, sensation, feeling, irritation, stomachache, heartache, headache. So if that be true, or if we take that as a model, then look at all those different eyes, those passing ones, look at those as being members of a cult. And then look at you, it's like you're the head of a, a cult. Does anybody get it? And this guy says he decided to start his own because he didn't like the kind of people that you normally find in cults. What if you could see a way, find a way, Can I refer you back to the first news item I read? Maybe I can tie it together. As a father gave his counsel for the day to his son, he said, listen, don't ever get in a mental entanglement in some kind of competition like a debate, but just don't get mentally competitive with people who are dumber than you are because they got nothing to lose. I don't have to go ahead. I look upon all of the eyes in me that will not heal. And from one view, it looks like there's only one eye in everybody that wants to awaken. And I don't know what I should call it if you're going to use that model for, for a moment. There's only one. Doesn't it always feel like the same one? You feel like, well, that's me again. At least here I am back home and I'm halfway awake for the moment. But Jesus, the rest of those wild elephants, those idiots, 
those ne'er-do-wells, those sleeping eyes in me, yakking, running around wild, I got to do something about them. You are in a mental competition, may I suggest you, of people dumber than you are. I mean, what else can you say? They got to be dumber than you. That is the you that wants to awaken. You are more conscious. You're the only one you trust if you're my kind of mystic. That's the only I in you. The only, well, let's stick with that model for a minute. It's the only I in you in which you can have any faith. It's the only one that knows what he's doing. It's that one, you're sure, it tastes the same that when you've had experiences of being awake. Some extraordinary anomalistic mental condition that's called being awake. I felt like it's the same one. It's me. These others are idiots. They're the ones I'm trying to rope in, bring under control, diminish, shut up, run off. They are the lice on my body. They're members of a damn cult. Well, somewhere between the Father's Council and this guy that started his own cult, don't you see one possibility between all that? How about just abandon them? Start your own private cult, just you and you. Just don't... No, just pretend they don't exist. Just don't let them join. Don't associate with them. Yes, but I must overcome them. All right, in that case, I refer you back to that Father's advice. Don't try and get the best of a person dumber than you. I mean, they never know that you bested them. Plus, they can go all kinds of wild extremes because they're dumber than you and they don't even know it. So as far as they're, no, they got nothing to lose. They can't humiliate themselves. They don't know what it is from your view because you look at them and you think, well, if you had any sense, you'd be humiliated already. It takes me to get back in charge for the moment to know how humiliating it is for you people to be in charge of me. I'm embarrassed I could almost die. And then you look off and they're back in charge and they're not embarrassed. They don't almost die. They may almost kill you, but they don't almost die. So what if between the two you could find a way? Either look on them as being a cult and then just internally just move away. Now quit trying to straighten out the cult. It's like being in a church and you figure the church is on the wrong track and you try to rehabilitate it. You try to get it back on the right track. Listen, the members of the church, of the cult, the eyes, the wild birds in your parliament who have no leader, if you, some eye in you, is smart enough, conscious enough by now, which it is, that it realizes these birds are all a bunch of cuckoos. These cult members are all nuts. All the people in this church are dumb. And I keep trying to rehabilitate them, retrain them, debate with them, reason with them, and some way overcome them. Who's the idiot? <laughs> Who's the cuckoo? Back to my eternal, or one of my favorite dirty questions. Tell me, just under, what progress have you made after X number of years in enlightening these dunderheads. Housebreaking these wild animals. Civilizing these other eyes who don't give a damn but have no philosophy to back it up. Well, I would say in concussion. Conclusion. I never told anybody this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Since it's obvious that I have never actually tried to start a cult externally, i got to tell you, I have one internally. That's why I wrote this. It's just me and me. And I can just barely tolerate me. Sometimes I hold meetings. And there's been times that I almost didn't let me come in. Now that's what I call strict. Admission policy. In fact, now I have more. I thought, you know, if I could keep me out, I would. I just. That would be it. 
a club that is so exclusive internally that you won't even let you in. Of course, does that sound familiar? Something else, another phrase, another model I've been using about being that you would not be asleep if you could be impersonal toward your own life. That would be the way, if there was such a thing, of keeping you out of your own club. Refusing admittance to you would only be if you could treat you your life. You're thinking about your life. Impersonally. Not giving a damn but with a philosophy to back it up. The philosophy being, of course, that you're not really interested in whether you give a damn or not. That's the philosophy. You understand there's not a philosophy behind it. You just say that so it doesn't sound like that you're just not saying, wait, what is an awakened man other than someone who doesn't give a damn, but, and then say I have to point out some distinction. As I said, between that and just other ne'er-do-wells, just, is it necessary? At least don't let it show. That much is necessary, that distinction. It doesn't count. You don't, you're not really not giving a damn the right way if anybody else can tell. I'm satisfied. That'll do it. You don't have to have a philosophy. That's not true. Yeah, you do. Now, the only way it'll work is you have got to have tried and been fairly sane about it. It's just an accident. But you have got to have tried to achieve enlightenment somewhere along. You've got to been on this kind of adventure. So you could say that's the philosophy behind it. That one time you had a philosophy about it. But the end result would be the difference is that you don't give a damn, but no one can tell. Because if anyone can tell, you hadn't done it. You have not achieved it. Because if anyone can tell, can't you get it? then you don't fully not give a damn. Because people can tell that you care about certain things. No, wait a minute, I got that backwards. Oh, you know what I mean, right? Well, pretend you do. Pretend you do. And if that doesn't work, just figure out the hell with it. And then you're close. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.